We're talking about innovation and the engineering design process with industry pioneer, John Hirschstick. John, tell us what you're doing now. You're, you're a serial entrepreneur. What are you up to now? Well, right now I am the head of the Software as a Service or SaaS business unit at PTC. I came to PTC when they acquired my uh, company Onshape, where I was a co-founder and CEO. And before that, I was co-founder and CEO for a long time at SolidWorks. Um, and prior to that, I worked for many years on other software tools for product development, CAD, PDM, simulation, tools like that. And very briefly, tell us about Onshape. Onshape is the world's first and only full cloud tool set for product developers. It includes CAD, data management, workflow. Basically, you call it CAD and PLM tools. And we're built in the cloud to solve a lot of the problems that modern teams face with the old generation systems. John, when we talk about product developers, who are we speaking about? Product developers are the millions of people around the world who design, engineer, manufacture, bring to market new, what I call manufactured products. Basically, anything you'd think of that in the world that's made in a factory, from the chair you're sitting in to the car in the garage to the machine that ground your coffee, kids' toys, medical devices, PPE systems for doctors, ventilators. Literally everything you'd imagine and a lot of things you'd never even imagine that exist in this world. Okay, so these are the folks who are literally designing and creating our physical world. What are the innovation challenges, especially when we move into a digital era like we're in today? Everyone who manufactures products is under pressure to, to design the future. They have to build a new product that's to, to be competitive in any business, manufacturing, designing, you have to always be innovative, always be building the future, something new that's performs better, looks better, is cheaper, it's better for the environment. Um, maybe it, it complies with new regulations or whatever. There's all kinds of pressures to bring out uh, new products faster and faster with more and more innovation. What makes it particularly challenging as we're in th this digital time? We're working from home. We are collaborating with dispersed teams across geographies. Why is it particularly hard to do that in engineering and product design? The reason it's hard for us to do it is our world exists at the intersection of the physical and the digital. You know, so we're not just doing digital work on the computer screen. We ultimately have to build something physical. You can, you can design... You can design an airplane or a chair on, uh, on the computer screen using our software, but no one sits in a virtual chair. It has to be made. And so a lot of what people do can be done digitally, but a lot of it is about understanding the physical reality, how it's going to feel, how it's going to look. And so we're doing that more than ever with digital representations. We're giving people a better and better idea, um, but it's, it's still particularly challenging if I can add a couple other reasons it's very challenging, the tool sets and amounts of data for modeling products, doing design, so-called computer-aided design or CAD systems, they're very complex pieces of software with huge amounts of functionality and huge amounts of data, much larger than anything you know normal people would be using, say, in a word processor or spreadsheet. You'd have to imagine really a thousand word processing docs just to make one simple product. 
And something like an airplane could have millions of those things, put little pieces put together. And so it's particularly challenging to, to work with these tools, a very complex, heavy tool set in our world. How do you overcome the hurdle of designing a physical product, yet not having access to a physical representation? I'm reminded of Beethoven, who was deaf, and yet he still composed symphonies. First of all, in today's world of remote work, um, it's only amplifying needs that were already there. There was already a trend to distributed teams, Michael, even before the COVID crisis, because a distributed team can work faster. The COVID crisis didn't invent this trend. It just amped it up. It turned up the gain and increased it. So one of the ways we're dealing with it is we're seeing teams go from older tools that involved installed software and heavy-duty workstations and things that really require you to be in the same place. Those are getting swept aside in favor of uh, cloud-based tools that not only make it super easy to deploy the system, basically go to a web browser or use your iPad or your mobile phone or whatever, but also it allows people to work together in real time at the same time on the same model, a 3D model on the screen of a physical product. Anyone, as long as they, they access the, you get on the internet and boom, we're designing in real time together as if we're sitting next to each other. Product development as an industry has the reputation of being slow to adopt new technologies. Yes, certain kinds of new technologies, of course. You know, yeah, when it comes to computing technology, Product development is kind of the caboose on the train. It's the last one to head to the new world. You know, um, it was the last industry to move from mainframes to Unix workstations and and then PCs. It was the last one to get on PCs. It's a very heavyweight. It's the most demanding on any sort of computing platform. The largest data sets, the largest, most complex pieces of software. But it's also about culture. You know, manufacturing and design culture relies on precision. It, it, it's a complex process to make things. There's there's a very ingrained culture around paper drawings, for example, where I, I was around when people said, we'll never, we'll never do it without paper drawings. It's got to be done on paper, on the board, you know? And, and so it takes a long time to, to uproot a very deeply entrenched culture and process around making things. You know, in many cases, those kind of entrenched historical cultural attributes arose for a good reason. For example, safety concerns. So how do you how do you address those kinds of challenges, such as such as safety, as you transplant these processes from paper to embed them essentially in the network? When you digitally transform an enterprise, you're right, Michael, you have to be highly concerned about safety and repeatability and quality because manufacturing is about repeatability usually you know you'd be very upset if um if you bought an iphone and it didn't fit with the power adapter you bought months earlier you know it's got to be exactly right the parts have to fit together and today's consumers are more demanding than ever of course and so in safety is critical so as a result what we what we see michael is that the digital world lets us manage uh, these processes better than in the paper world. In the paper world, yeah, it was a good idea to have a drawing that someone signed off on to approve it. 
and say, this is the drawing of the thing we're going to manufacture. But in the digital world, we can have approval systems that are even better, that are digitally signed. So we still need, the need is there, but we address the need in different ways. Again, not by not by haphazard copying of files and who knows who's got the latest version, but by using a locked database with roles-based access control. This is the way not only product development systems work, but this is the way software development is going with clear release markers. This is the way um, permissions are set in, uh, in computer databases like for HR administration, we're seeing better controls on security and access to data than we're in the paper world. But you're absolutely right. You still need to think about safety and repeatability and formal release management. Would it be correct to say that you are adapting the traditional processes as you move them into the cloud? And in some cases, it's not just an adaptation, but it's an actual improvement to take advantage of the capabilities that modern software provides. Yes, exactly. We're adapting it. We're taking advantage just in a way you digitally transform banking from in-person with paper checks to very secure, reliable electronic means. We're seeing that with the controls around product development and manufacturing. As I speak with business leaders across multiple domains, culture seems to emerge as one of the core factors of digital transformation. So what's going on with the cultural aspect in this shift? So the cultural aspect of digital transformation is very important, Michael. And what we're seeing is, I think, first and foremost, we're seeing the new generation of workforce coming out of schools and, and the uh, younger people coming in with very digitally transformed lifestyles. They're ahead of the curve on this. They're used to collaborating. It, you know, the, the, the new generation workforce that's grown up with video games, the internet, YouTube, they're used to globally collaborating. That's not a new idea of digital transformation. That's something they do every day on video games. You know, that's, that's very familiar to them to jump in and join a collaborative team in a 3D world. That's not industrial digital transformation to them. In the existing companies, it's the same old story. There's innovators. And then there's followers, you know, and the innovators see what need to be done and they top down force their company to new styles of working. Are traditional product designers making that cultural shift? I think it comes down to how much are you embracing these technologies outside of your work life is a leading indicator and a barometer of how much you'll embrace them inside your work life, you know, and, it, and if people, the product developers I meet, oftentimes they're driven to embrace new ideas because of their experiences outside of product development, where they say, hey, you know, um, uh, I just ordered a pizza and that was easier than ordering, you know, it was so much easier than ordering parts from my local supplier. Why does it have to be like that? So it's those people who are curious, I think, about the rest of the world and, and apply the same level of innovation they'd apply to getting a wonderful hinge mechanism smoothly working, you know, in a consumer product, when they start to step back and apply that same innovative mind and experimental mindset to how they work and the tools they use, those are the kind of people that step ahead. And I think that's not just in product development, it's many other fields as well. It's the innovators who, who look around and are constantly curious. I think in order to be an innovator 
you have to be willing to spend time looking at things that don't even seem relevant to what you're doing. You know, you have to be somebody who says, I'm going to, I'm going to just learn about this because it's different and new, you know, just like Michael in, in setting up for this video, we were talking about microphones and cameras and how you do your software. I'm always interested in how people are doing what you're doing with video. Maybe give me an idea for product development tools or what you're doing with video may give a customer an idea about how they could change something in their product or service. It might be that that they could make a better coffee machine <laughs> if they could transmit data using IoT sensors over the internet and collect that in some centralized way. And maybe some minor thing that we see in what we're doing sparks that interest. Designers are always inspired. You know, we, we, we're informed by, we have inspiration boards of examples if you walk into designers. So, they should be inspired not just by things in nature or the Bauhaus furniture. <laughs> they should be inspired by the tools and processes they see in other parts of the world, and they can bring those to how they develop products. John, you speak with lots of customers, lots of your customers, and can you draw connections between the folks who are adopting these new ways of working and the kind of results that they get when they're, whether it's designing, as you said, a coffee pot or a jet airplane. Absolutely. I think I can correlate the new ways of working with success in customers' product development. Uh, like a, a great example are some of the COVID projects we're seeing, Michael. Teams are jumping in to build ventilators, build personal protection equipment, and they're doing it at unheard of speed and unheard of quality. And they're not just producing cheap knockoffs of the old products they're producing in some ways, superior performing products. And how are they doing that? They're jumping in with a hyper agile process and attitude, partly because they have to. You know, the circumstances force their hand. And then they're finding they can work faster than they ever could before. They're embracing the new tools. We have all kinds of people telling us stories of using our tools to do these projects, I'm thinking of a ventilator in particular, I was blown away by what they produced in a few weeks. And that's, you know, our tools play a part, but it's their, it's their attitude that plays a part. And they're, they're sort of crisis-induced blowing up of all the norms of how they'd work together to say, it's like that scene, I keep thinking of the scene in, in Apollo 13, the movie where they dump the parts on the table and they're like, we got we got 12 minutes to figure this out. Everyone jump in, you know? You know what I mean? They didn't say, they didn't say, uh, why don't you, why don't Joe, why don't you take the box of parts and come back with three ideas next Tuesday and we'll have a staff meeting? There's no time for that. It's like dump it on the table and everyone jumped in at once. And I think that's kind of a model for the hyper, unfortunately, crisis-induced activity. But what's going to happen in product development is after the crisis is over, those lessons will be put to work in the normal business. So the team that went and built that ventilator, they're going to go back to making bicycles and coffee machines and you know automotive, automotive sound systems and whatever it is they're making. And some of that hyper agile experience is going to stick with them. They're going to say, well, on that COVID project, we work 10 times faster than this. Let's put that to work in our business. And, uh, and you don't want to, you don't want to wait and have your competitor put those techniques to work before you do. 
So if you're a product designer or product developer, what are the pieces that need to be in place that you must put in place in order to be hyper agile and be super competitive, just as you were describing? To be hyper agile and super competitive as a product developer, you need to put several pieces in place. One, you need to be willing to change your process completely. You need to be open-minded and say, I'm going to do things differently. Two, you need to be a risk taker because the first time you do it, it's not going to all go perfectly. Okay. Three, um, you need to have the right team because no product is built by one person. And so if your team isn't selected to be compatible with this or they don't buy into it, it's going to be a problem. Four, you need to write tools. Okay. Five, you need the right project. Not all projects are ready for hyper agile. If you're in the middle of, of a big long-term design project, maybe you don't switch it. You have to pick the right project. A bunch of things have to come together. Who's responsible for this inside an organization? Because it's not just individual passion, although clearly that's part of it as you're describing, but you're talking about an organizational change. Yeah, you are. You're talking about organizational change that in different types of organization comes from different places. If you've got a small startup, it's probably coming from the lead entrepreneur, the founder, the CEO, who may also be the product developer. When you have a larger, more complex organization, the change agent could be bottom up. The other thing is to pick a project, pick the right project. Maybe you're a auto company. I hear about this a lot. You know, you make automobiles. You're not going to change in the middle of a new auto platform. You can't change everything then. But starting a new project, maybe you're doing something in autonomous or electric vehicles or a small vehicle or a ride sharing project. And there, these days, people instinctively understand they have to, they want to break the process on those. The point is you can do it in a in a in a in a special project. You can have um, uh, uh, you know intrapreneurship. It's kind of like the startup, but it's happening inside a, a larger organization. So companies should think about processes and tools a little more per project and say, let's take this new innovative project and use, use new ideas on it, maybe even new people too. So the common thread is rethinking the process, bringing in the, the right tool set, working with folks to adopt different ways of working, bringing all this together? I would say companies need to realize they must be multi-dimensional innovators. They know they need to innovate in a core manufactured product. They know they need to come up with a better valve or pump or motor or whatever. They need to know that they need to innovate in other dimensions, their processes, their tools, or even their personnel, if they're gonna really be the innovative company of tomorrow. John Herstick, thank you so much. Michael, it's a pleasure.